You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is Colonel Shane Morgan. Colonel Morgan is the commander of the Mission Command Training Program based at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Colonel Morgan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. We at the MCTP or the Mission Command Training Program, we appreciate this opportunity today. And really, we'd be remiss if we didn't thank you for what you do for our profession, you know, with the Modern War Institute. Any chance we get to talk uh, about warfighting, any chance we get to talk about doctrine and TTPs for the fielded force, it's just going to make our army better. Yes, sir. And I really appreciate that. And I'm pretty excited about the episode just because of the other three episodes we have on with the Combat Training Center and how much I learned from interviewing the commanders of the operations group at those CTCs, but how much more I'm excited about MCTP as honestly, I, I have some gaps in what I know about it and how urban environments are incorporated into it. So I'm pretty excited. If you don't mind, sir, let's jump right in. And for our listeners who might not know what MCTP is, what is it and what is your role in it? Hey, so thanks, and uh, and thanks for uh, including the Mission Command Training Program with the three DIRT CTCs, JRTC, JMRC, and the, and the National Training Center. We are the fourth combat training center. We're also the only deployable combat training center. So whereas rotational units go to Fort Polk or Fort Irwin for their rotation, we actually bring the training to the soldier and is executed under drash for command posts or with a large uh, contingent in the simulation centers or the mission training complexes, if you will at the home stations across our uh, our camps, posts, and stations. But getting back to your, your other part of your question is, you know, who we are. You know, our people, we got 454 active military. We got 104 Department of the Army civilians, and, and we're supported by 800 government contractor teammates, as well as a stable of highly qualified expert senior mentors, HQESMs, but think senior mentors, think retired general officers who continue to serve and share their wisdom, experience, and insights with those men and women that are in the arena right now trying to solve some hard problems during warfighter exercises. So to make a distinction maybe between the DIRTs and what we do, the DIRTs have brigade combat teams and below. We have what is above brigade combat teams, functional, multifunctional brigades, Army Division, Army Corps, and then of course, Army Service Component Commands. All also supported, we we do have a joint fight by the uh, 505th Detachment for the U.S. Air Force Command and Control Wing. So if you think about that, those are the guys and gals that run the Air Ops Center or the replicate the Battlefield Coordination Detachment or, or the ATO cycle. And as, as we'll talk probably a little more about the warfighter exercise, it's a largely deep fight, fires fight, and without our, our joint partners replicating either a CFAC and or other fixed uh, wing assets, that's what I would say differentiates us in the fight that we have deep so that BCTs and below can manage their fight in the close fight. No, that's great, sir. And it's fascinating to me, especially as a lot of what we've done, although we've kind of broadened our picture up on the podcast and done everything from smart cities to feral cities to understanding mega cities, all the way down to the tactical levels. So I'm fascinated about basically how do you exercise echelons above brigade and how they see the operating environment, how they shape it for the lower echelon units. So I'm pretty excited to talk about actually, you know, visualize how that happens. It's just easier for me, I think, to visualize the DIRT CTCs. I love them and I especially love spending time with them and watching our units train at the world's best training sites. And so to talk about the MCTP and how that works echelons above brigade and how urban environment comes into play when you're talking about the deep fight and shaping the environment. Pretty excited to talk to you about. 
As we continue to try to visualize this for our listeners, what type of exercises, simulations does the MCTP actually conduct? Yeah, sure. So the culminating training event, if you will, is the warfighter exercise. And we start the planning process about a year out and we're synchronized with the DIRTs through ForceCom in what's known as the Army Synchronization and Resourcing Conference or the ASAR. And on a division or corps glide path, tactical core, tactical division in, in large scale combat operations, which has been our focus now for about five years, start about a year out, planning conferences, initial, midpoint, final. And then uh, for the training audiences, they'll go through and have command post exercises, typically three, sometimes more. And, and what we see is them progress through a crawl, walk, run. And so therefore, by the time they get to their command post exercise number three, they're in a large scale combat operations battle rhythm. They've got the uh, digital interoperability, the systems, the processes, they got an SOP that they're ready to fight, fighting products. And then, uh, of course, the last piece is the warfighter exercise itself. But I'd be remiss if I didn't share just how much planning the operating force does and those key events leading up to the warfighter exercise itself. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'm starting to get a picture basically of a giant division level staff going through all the operations process, utilizing the simulation. And some people may not be, may not be as familiar with what that means. You know, basically a computer simulation that is allowing for this exercise, this 10 day, just like a dirt CT exercise with an adaptive enemy. Could you talk more about the warfighter since... And that's really where just for me gets very specific into the an exercise about how that warfighter actually works. And you already hit on it. It's a 10-day sprint for what we refer to as training audiences. And, and who are our training audiences? It's the CABs, the Devartis, the Field Artillery Brigades, Stamet Brigades, the full gamut of brigades, M functional brigades, MI brigades, engineer brigades. They all participate in warfighter exercises, but it's under the unit of action in large-scale combat operations, which is the tactical division. So to really to delineate how I view it, you know, as we looked at COIN with the brigade combat team, was the unit of action absolutely and needed to be. And that environment was really described by uh, precision guided weapons and, and real-time ISR, observed fire, multiple assets. Now we've transitioned to large-scale combat operations and the distinction being, of course, much larger, greater in scope and for that fight. But 10-day exercise, back to your question, two days dedicated to uh, AARs, two full days, so a midpoint AAR. And then we give them a little time now to adjust to make some in-stride changes. And then uh, they're right back into the fight. And in terms of the simulation. It's referred to as WarSim, and, and that's really a vehicle or a driver, if you will, to complement what the warfighter does for the operating force. So you can see yourselves, you know, from a blue force array, and then there are action-reaction in terms of the enemy in the Op 4, and it, and it has some limitations, but by and large, uh, it enables the training objectives of commanding generals in their staffs, and it also gets at our metal focus training, because those are the two things the warfighter exercise is the metal for a division and a core, and, and then and, uh, individual training objectives. And we're very terrible in terms of uh, the tempo and the construct of the exercise. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'll have some questions on the metal. I'm, I'm pretty fascinated about the mission essential task, especially at the division level. I interact a lot with the brigade medals, understanding that you already know how focused I am on the urban. And usually that's not a specific metal task. It's a condition of the metal task. So I'll have some questions about that. But as I continue to visualize it, basically the mission command framework or technology, the, the screens with these, the war sim going on in it and a unit, as I try to understand more about how the warfighter 
ladder happens, you know, unit gets a, I'm sure they get an orders process, they give given a mission, and then they basically play that over the simulation with a, but you have representatives actually serving, creating injects and inputs as the op for reacting, like you said, action, reaction to the division or the, the unit of actions, choices they make in the plan of the operation. Is that right? I don't know if I could describe it any better other than seeing it play out two years of sets and reps. Yeah, so we have our world-class op four that replicates a peer threat, peer capabilities, overmatch in some areas, and they're replicated absolutely in simulation. And when we find and fix and finish said op four capabilities or formations, they're what we say taken off the board. So just like for the blue forces, when they're attrited and their combat power decreases because they've made contact or taken out by said capability, it helps units to see themselves in terms of the pace, the tempo, and where they're progressing against you know, th- their desired end state. But it's absolutely a force-on-force, peer-against-peer fight with the capabilities that, that our name adversaries have today. And then how, uh, what's it all underpinned by? Probably heard the term puckster. That's the individual on the computer system. We call it a biz whiz. But anyhow, they're the ones that are actually maneuvering icons based on the orders that they're receiving from training audiences, whether it's move left, move right, cross LD, stop, limit of advance, and then maneuvering those formations. And typically we've seen, you know, that those units that invest in their puckster training tend to have better outcomes during a warfighter exercise and and those who don't. And we haven't seen this, but I'll just say that they are a key piece of a constructive warfighter exercise. No, that makes sense. And I had actually heard the the term puckster. And as I, hopefully as listeners start to visualize this war game, this not a game, it's not a, but the simulation, how important that support or that mechanism is. You mentioned something I think is pretty critical to my next question is you, as a unit is preparing for a warfighter, what is included in, how do you help units prepare for such a, which I'm sure is a just a cognitively intensive exercise to exercise at, at this level? Yeah, so there there are a number of, of ways that w- we enable the training of the operating force, whether it's you know Forcecom or User Pack or those stationed on the peninsula. But it, it all centers around the academic session called Mission Command Training, but commonly referred to as academics. And that's when uh, you know pre-COVID, if you were a CONUS based unit, you would bring if you were a core commander, you'd bring fifty five of your people, primary staff, and others to to here to Fort Leavenworth, and you'd have five dedicated days of classes, and not necessarily death by PowerPoint because the commanding general really decides, hey, this is what I'd like a little more of this, a little less of that. And then it also gave them time to be with their staffs and start building their team, right? Same with divisions, same with the functional, multifunctional brigades. We've always traveled overseas just for cost. But that being said, when COVID hit, we've been taking out smaller package to home stations just, just from a risk to mission, risk to force perspective. But it's really the academic session that we start getting units into that large scale combat operations mindset and teaching combined arms doctrine directorate comes in. They're here. Center for Army Lessons Learned is here. And that's where we really expose those who are probably going into their position for the first time, whether it's the Division G3 or the Knight Battle Captain, to to what they can expect as they progress, they learn, and then execute uh, during a warfighter exercise. That's amazing. And I'm sure it's very useful to them as they, like you said, you know, different people coming in at different times, but they build their team preparing for such a big event. And I assume the units are doing just like at the Dirt TCs, they're doing sequential of training events that lead up to this almost culminating exercise. Is that right? 
Yeah, they do. They do. And and in maybe maybe in fairness or optimally rather, the unit would have that sequential progression, CPX one, two, and three, academics, those three planning conferences that I talked about, and to do plenty of rehearsals before the ten day warfighter exercise. But really, divisions and corps are busy and have other missions. And we go out and we see uh, all 18 divisions and all four corps, as well as the Army Service Component Commands and those organic and or attached units in a warfighter. So my, my point being is that's the optimal model, but divisions and corps and commanders have, have other things going on, but hopefully they, they get the dedicated time, which is what we coach. But we're also certainly flexible enough to adjust our travels to what fits within training audiences, uh, current city state operations. So now I know you you mentioned the senior mentors, which, which is very interesting and I think different almost from uh, the other CTCs, but I know you also have MCTP observer, coacher, and trainers. What do they do and are they different you might see in a dirt CTC? Yeah, I would say that the OCTs, the observer coach trainers are very similar to, to what you see at the DIRT CTCs. Um, what's what's different is who we're enabling, not who we're training, but who, who are we enabling the training for? Core commanders and their senior staffs, division commanders and their senior staffs. So, you know, we have three line ops groups that are expertly led by O6's former brigade commanders. But when you look at, we got 318 OCT positions in MCTP. We have 165 majors, you know, 99 lieutenant colonels. So, Where's the experience gap, if you will? I'm not going to be the one sitting down and coaching a division or a corps commander haven't, for, for obvious reasons, right? If you look at our senior mentors, we've got a retired four-star, we've got multiple retired three-stars, former division commanders, former corps commanders that really want to share and can relate to the challenges that corps and divisions commanders face and their staffs. And then you take it down an echelon, but then we have, you know, mentors and coaches with, with the DCGs or with the chief staff and the principal staff members. But what's the center of our organization? I'd say it's the majors that are that are out there capturing observations, sharing TTPs, teaching the classes. It's a wonderful assignment because you really do get to observe and learn from, I'd say, the best in the world. And when you're talking about 18 division commanders and their staffs and four army corps, I'd match that up against anybody in terms of learning from and observing the best. Yes, sir. And I can imagine just getting the observing and interacting with the reps and the sets of this many exercises is bar none in comparison to I think anybody out there in the force and the expertise that gets developed in individuals as you interact with it. A few advantages I have as the urban warfare guy is just being allowed to focus on the topic and just because of our rotation, I don't know if as many people get in whatever domain or whatever specialty in warfighting, that amount of great opportunity. So on the warfighter itself or the scenarios that are used during MCTP, I know just from my own experience, there's major portions of it that's classified, but I didn't know if you could talk about those scenarios and then or any example mission essential tasks at, the, at this new core division level that are given during these exercises. Certainly can, because it's similar to what is taught in an academic environment, right? We're either the Captain's Career Course or CGSC, and we we try not to over-classify in, in our scenarios. But, you know, we have the Caspian, which you're probably very familiar with, right? That's on the shelf for us to use in a warfighter exercise. For the last two and a half years, we've been doing a Korean-based scenario on Korean terrain against a peer threat. And then for the last, gosh, four warfighters, uh, we've been on a Euro- European scenario in the Baltics, Sawaki Gap or Sawaki Corridor. Uh, So those are the three that we have right now, all of which exercise large-scale combat operations. And the more that we've matured in our scenarios, the bigger we've been able to expand 
the area of operation. Some of it, you got to have the digital terrain and the maps to fight on. But, you know, when we're looking at a tactical core, for example, our Warfighter Exercise 21-1 had 18th Airborne Corps as a tactical core. It had the 82nd Airborne Division. It had the 1st Cavalry Division. It had the 3rd Infantry Division, all participating in the Warfighter. And so, therefore, the terrain is big enough, scale scope, and it, and it really exercises some of the things that we haven't really had to exercise at that level. You know, the C-Flix role you know, and shaping the environment for the tactical core, the tactical core's role for the divisions and so on and so forth. But those are our three scenarios that we have on the shelf right now. And then we're also developing a Pacific scenario, working with USAR PAC right now. We intend to unveil that uh, about a year, about a year from now. Any examples of kind of those higher echelon tasks the, the unit might be trying to do in those scenarios? Yeah, sure. So even our sequence of events and scheme maneuver in a warfighter, if you will, follows FM30 and the chapters in it, right? So we start out offensive operations, start out in tactical assembly area, you know, got to do a, a forward passage of lines, right, with a uh, coalition partner country. Uh, we got to advance to the gap for the gap crossing, but you're also entering the, you know, the enemy's disruption zone for the recon, counter recon fight. Then you get the combined arms, you know, wet gap crossing. Then you continue the attack and then uh, focused on your end state. And that end state in, in this scenario or our scenarios really is uh, for the right reasons tied to diplomatic and pl- political reasons. But what that t- tends to drive is a limit of advance if you're progressing, right? And and don't need to stop recock and, and retrain to standard, or you're either forced to go into your defense either by enemy actions. If you've culminated to re- regenerate combat power, or you just go into deliberate defense. And that really, those are the, really the key tasks that we execute in a warfighter exercise. For the first time, maybe ever, last year, we actually started, uh, well, the end state, we put a, a unit into a deliberate defense, being the core, because defend being a metal task. So we have the flexibility to, to adjust. We could start a unit in defense and progress from there. But typically what I described is tactical assembly area progressing along that scheme of maneuvering. Yes, sir. That makes complete sense and fascinating that there's actually a scenario starting in the defense. That's pretty interesting. So what for the environments? Now, I know this is, like you said, computer-generated simulation, whatever the environment that can be built in the simulation and or displayed on a 2D, 3D map. How are the scenarios, what are the environments that get presented in the scenarios? I know you, European, Pacific, you know where I'm leading with this on how urban gets replicated, but what are the different types of environments that the scenario pushes units into? If you look at the at the Korean scenario, again, it's it's on Korean terrain, canalizing terrain. Underground facilities was a uh, primary condition on the terrain that we were fighting in and certainly dealing with long range uh, surface to surface fires. Now you go to the two hour MCTP Baltic scenario in the Sawaki Gap. Uh, you're talking tempo. You're talking combined arms maneuver, broad, big, large areas of operation. And, and this is where we really start including the uh, the urban terrain, the, the urban environment, the population centers in, in this latest scenario ha- has really been teased out as we fight this fight in that terrain, in that area of operation. No, that's fascinating. Fascinating on the underground and sub T and how that would interact with the warfighting functions at, at this level. Anything more you can say about, okay, so then they, in these scenarios where the, the urban environment is present, and how it impacts the commander's ability to do the tasks. I know you mentioned you know, the, the tempo, kind of the operational art aspect of it, but are there any other things you've noticed on that, how that urban environment in the scenario really impacts war fighting? 
Yeah, absolutely. So whether it's the, you know, talking about the urban environment or a built up area or a population center, it's a decision that gets on the uh, on the commander's decision support template. And as he or she looks at that decision in terms of major population centers, right? Is it, we, we have drivers in there. What's the bypass criteria? What is the threat? What are the, and we replicate all this. We have our unified action partners, former ambassadors that part of the contract and the program that have actually been, you know, ambassadors in these areas and, you know, internally displayed. Uh, civilians, personnel, separating non-combatants. Essentially, the, you know, the fundamentals of urban ops, those 10 fundamentals, they're, they're certainly replicated in a process perspective in the operations process. Is it replicated in WARSIM, great level of fidelity? The answer is no, but we don't, it's kind of like miles, the DIRT CTCs. Hey, I just shot artillery, but there's no miles to replicate field artillery. Okay, we'll, we'll work through that. So we try not to get bogged down with what the SIM can and can't do, and more so that the operations process and the decisions that the commander needs to make. And oh, by the way, there is a real op four that if, they, if they're out there and they got NAIs and TAIs, they're going to see who is holed up, if you will, in the city, size, composition, strength. And then it's a matter of do I bypass or do I go for a very, very tough fight in isolating and then uh, you know finding, fixing, finishing the enemy in said population centers. That's fascinating and kind of my passion. If listeners listen to the NTC version, both NTC and JRTC have this one brigade level, although we're talking echelon to bub brigade, but this brigade level attack with a deliberate attack into to the urban terrain and the, the continued lesson being about, okay, let's talk about how you shape that before you get there. What are the understanding of that specific urban environment, but how does that play out to open that up across the entire operating environment? What other portions of the terrain are impacting that before I get there? Do I need to shape those environments before getting singly focused on you know a single city or even if that is the object does that make sense it's kind of like the gap crossing. Is is that the metal task? No. Is it a intermediate objective? Maybe, but it's something you got to do. You know, optimally you find a forward site, right? Or you find host nation ferry assets to get you across something that's not fordable. We present, I would just say that dilemma in, in the warfighter exercise. And it also teases out the conditions of large scale combat operations. When you talk the, the law of armed conflict, military necessity and proportionality versus the rules of engagement that we've absolutely needed to abide by in counterinsurgency fights, but it's different. Large-scale combat operations, when you're talking a core fighting subordinate divisions and you look at just the size, scale, and scope of large-scale combat operations, it is different and you need to do things in large-scale combat operations that we may have had layers of decision makers for the right reasons, again, in counterinsurgency operations, and one of which is the urban environment. No, I think that's fascinating. I'm sure you saw the, the article that kind of highlighted and actually cited the NTC and GRTC episodes. The article called, the I think it was the 18th Gap, discussing kind of the law of armed conflict, rules of engagement that were specific to the, the author says, the counterinsurgency, counterterrorism era. But as I interview the different commanders of our combat training centers about how that is still present, get very scenario-based, whether that's Devardi firing a large-scale smoke mission, click off the objective out of concerns of the urban environment, or how does all that change in a large-scale combat operation against a different enemy under a different context? Absolutely. You know, just as you look at it, mass and concentrated fires and the level of fidelity that you need. In large-scale combat operations, you, you may need just a four-digit grid. If I got a four-digit grid on, on a lob, then I can send, say, the cab out to take a look at it. Whereas in the counterinsurgency fight, we were very particular and, and needed to be, right? We had the strategic corporals out there that could make decisions and, and we wanted them to, but would have strategic consequences. If you look at, does precision-guided weapons, real-time ISR still play a role? Absolutely. But we're talking about large formations with pure capability 
capabilities that we don't find fix and finish them, there are consequences on the other end being to our forces. Yes, sir. I actually often come back to, I don't know if you heard the episode with General Rainey, a lot about the second battle of Flugion, how that environment was shaped beforehand, before the close fight. Yeah, I did. He was a battalion commander in that fight, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I did. But he actually did, as I've asked more questions about how do we continue to evolve our training to include once multi-domain operations becomes doctrine, comes out of the concept, I asked him, what are the future urban fights that he sees? And he discussed, just like in the latest version of MDO, discusses at this higher echelon of when we will not be able to bypass and avoid large swaths of urban terrain, what would be the missions that we might give to units? And he mentioned too, one of them being secure a line of communication through urban terrain, because it's just unavoidable based on canalizing terrain, like you said, in the Korea scenario, or a deliberate raid, planned deliberate attack or something, and then a planned withdrawal, not a, not a complete secure urban terrain operation just because of the complexity of that as the world gets more urban. And urban. I didn't know if you foresee the evolution of the warfighters or an MCTP to include more of these scenarios that prevent you from avoiding and bypassing, or what does securing a line of communication through urban terrain look like at, at this core division level? Yeah. So I'll say with one of the 10 fundamentals is, you know, better than me, but it's to avoid the attrition approach, right? In urban operations. So we'll see more of it, but again, it's the constructive versus the live. So mount sites, military operations in urban terrain, 1996, I think I did my first JRTC rotation in, in Shugar Gordon, right? To replicate, you know, against a miles outfitted op four inside a city in that close fight. I think that the dirt CTCs still do that exceptionally well, but in terms of those tasks, that will come from higher, the risk, if you will, and, and where that's owned. I think the warfighter exercise gets at that because I think it becomes commander's decision and what he's willing to accept based on the options provided to him and if forced, right? And there'll certainly be times, but I do think that, you know, in the ops process, because that's really what we focus on in, in a warfighter exercise, because we can't replicate the smell or the fatigue and well, we can replicate staff fatigue, but the physical fatigue, if you will, of that fight in a 10-day exercise. So part of it's also managing expectations, but I do think in terms of the, the PhD level of warfighting and the thinking that goes through it, I, I think we're on solid footing in including that condition in our in our scenarios. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's great to hear. I personally, when I get pushed and talk to you know Sam's classes, talk to division level staffs that we do LPDs on operations above brigade and really discussing how that shaping aspect of the complete operation looks like in dealing with urban trains. And can we visualize the urban train? There's this real famous map of Baghdad that was found on an enemy combatant that displayed the different belts that were the support zones to the actual Baghdad region and how that all the way up to the joint task force level, how it changed how they were looking at the operation with the better understanding of how the greater urban environment was both supported and worked. In my line of work, it's a lot about the flows. And so I'd be really interested in seeing how that works into assimilation, whether it's a, your G2 aspect of describing the environment or that part of the process on fully understanding as our urban areas getting bigger and bigger and bigger in the second and third order effects. I know that's really hard to replicate, but how that gets translated to the commander to make those decisions. 
Yeah, right. These discussions do need to have in, in the academic environment. And we do have recent examples, right? You just said it, Baghdad, OIF-1, Thunder Run, or the Mosul study group more recently. I mean, we have experiences in, in our formation that are sharing these lessons that were learned, captured, and shared across the operating force. So yeah, it's a conversation we've got to keep going. And yes, I would say if the two or the commander, you know, see yourself, see the terrain, see the enemy, I think that we sometimes do a pretty good job at, at, and should, you know, see the threat in terms of capabilities, limitations, vulnerabilities, and see ourselves, we're okay, but see the terrain to just expand in that aperture so that we're accounting for those real tough conditions that, that we'd see. My deputy uh, did some hard fighting. Uh, I asked him this morning, I said, hey, talk to me about fighting in you know, dense urban terrain or urban environment. He said, tongue in cheek, he said, well, let's not do it. His first reply, he goes, it's it's hard. And uh, and then we had a discussion and he taught the elective actually over at CGSC and Army University. So I think you're really onto something in terms of sharing this topic and where you currently sit. Yes, sir. So I think you touched on one of my, you know, towards the end of my questions is, as you've, I think you said two years of watching these reps and sets of an amazing training event. Are there any general lessons that you've seen with interacting with the units shaping the environment where there isn't a, a large urban area involved and the good practices that you've seen being implemented? Yeah. So units, commanders are sharing their lessons. Division commanders talking to division commanders, deputies, G3s, so on and so forth. That commander to commander dialogue doesn't just happen in combat or in a warfighter exercise. And that's where we've seen, I would say, the greatest sustain. When you, if you want something, you know, tested or a soldier touch point, you know, get it to the right soldier at the right level. And with us, when we're talking about large scale combat operations, call them training audiences, but we're talking 18 U.S. Army divisions and four corps. So they're sharing lessons. What are a couple of examples? I would say the JAGIC, the Joint Air Ground Integration Cell, started as a concept, TTP. Let's take our same people, organize them a little differently. We captured it in a warfighter exercise because we're out there with observers for the TTPs. And then a TTP gets Center for Army Lessons Learned, and then, then it gets over to the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate, and it's in doctrine. Kill boxes would be another uh, TTP as we look at, you know, large-scale combat. One thing I didn't talk about is the battle space geometry, far different in terms of our scenarios, if you will, because there's a deep, there's a rear, there's a close fight, and that geometry is designated by boundaries and fire support coordination measures. And you hear a lot of talk about the coordinated firing line and the, you know, fire support coordination line. But my larger point being, I would say that the biggest advancements we've made isn't from MCTP necessarily at all. We're just in a position to capture all the good ideas and the TTPs that are in place that the very smart people are doing. And we're just fortunate to be out there observing what, what I would say are the best. The other point being, we have a big eight that we share for warfighter exercises and preparation. We're an open book test. And so we encourage units to come out here and do the op four ride along program. They can actually, before their warfighter, they can see how the enemy fights, how he thinks, what his LISCO battle rhythm is, which I'll tell you centers around two targeting meetings a day or target working group and a target decision board. And that therefore he's very effective because he doesn't have all the other boards, bureaus, center cells and work groups. But that's one key thing we talked about training pucksters. That's just a must. So you don't have a, a young Lieutenant Morgan navigating MLRS into a minefield when you need it. A host of others, but again, sharing TTPs, that's what we collect, key observations for a large-scale combat art we publish now twice a year. Uh, it used to be just once a year. Call you know, publishes the article, the compilation of the articles you know, written by our senior mentors and our OCTs and our, our chief operations groups. So anyhow, if, if we need to do more pushing than pulling, but we are the repository, we want to be the one-stop shop for anybody getting ready to go to a warfighter or get 
getting ready to go to combat. Hey, I'd like to see a uh, product on uh, decision support template or what's a r- good running estimate look like or uh, you name it. We see it all and, and we're able to cherry pick from the best and, and we maintain them over. Yes, sir. No, that's fascinating. And I think, again, the strength of our army is is that ability to share in that cycle in your location there at Fort Leavenworth with all the other organizations that are doing such great work to do just that and the sharing of the lessons. And I did see your big eight on your website. Like you said, open book. I really was fascinated by them. And I think this conversation will really help people visualize the event, but also helps me even as an academic researcher understand how we replicate these tough problems at Echelon. Sir, I really appreciate your time. And this has been a fascinating talk. Hey, no, thanks for what you're doing with this effort. One could say it's innovative and creative to do podcasts. It's kind of like CAD does audiobooks now for doctrine, but really this is how people are getting their information, probably even before in a COVID environment. So so thanks for doing it. And I'll just, one one final plug, mention how many majors we have in our organization, Lieutenant Colonels, but we're always looking to hire talent. We've been very, uh, done very well in the last two BCAP and battalion command selections. I think I got 18, we have 18 battalion commanders uh, in our formation right now, getting ready to go take command. And and we're active in the AIM-2 marketplace. If you want to be an OCT and solely focus on warfighting and observing from the best, we got a job for you. So if uh, if you run into any of those majors, lieutenant colonels or uh, warrant officers, MCTP is always hiring. And we just like the rest of the uh, force, you know, about a one-third turnover every cycle. But again, thanks, John. Yes, sir. Thank you. And I'll do my part. Uh, I think it'd be an amazing place to work as well. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of the participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out MDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.